Hi everybody, welcome to Season 3, Episode 11 of The Hard Truth, Inside the Football Injury Podcast, with me, Philip Heitzen, and Darren McAnthony, Chairman and Co-Owner of Peterborough United. Um, we're going to be joined in a little bit as well by Ryan Sparks, uh, CEO ah. of City. so Ryan should be joining us in a little while, but let's talk posh before he does. Um, you had a 1-1 at home to Burton, how are you feeling about that? Irritated, uh, you know, I should have known before the game, you know, like I two two people break the rules, you know, contacting me before a game, you know, it's like a schoolboy era, you know, they know my superstitions and uh, one of them is don't call me, don't text me before a game. And I had Jason fucking texting me before a game and he he should know better because I've chewed him out before and we've never won whenever he's mm-hmm. done that. And then a good, good pal of mine who's at the game do exactly the same thing. So after the result, I've basically given them both fucking barrels. <laughs> I had to blame them. You know, I was like, you fucking had to do it. You had to do it. You couldn't just fucking wait till after the game. You got to message me before the game. You know I'm locked in on match day. I don't want to talk. I don't even talk to my own kids and wife before a game. Don't fucking text me before a game. I've told people enough of this shit. They know all my little injury, injury, what is the word? Idiosyncrasies. Idiosyncrasies. Yeah. So why are you fucking doing it? You know, particularly Jason, who before has done it before, and I fucking said to him before, like, stop. You know, like, <laughs> not till after a fucking game. And then obviously we play. And do you know what? I'll be a hypocrite because I usually say I don't mind losing a draw in a game as long as we've dominated and had loads of goal scoring chances. And it's one of them games where we should have won the game four or five now. And yeah, we weren't wonderful in the first half. But if you look at the chances, I mean, Clark Harris could have had five goals. And, and, the chances missed, they're not difficult chances either. One-on-ones, headers from three yards, shots from three yards. And then um, second half, I want to say about 20 minutes to go, one of our midfielders has missed an open goal. I mean, it's an absolute fucking sitter. You have to score. And when that gets sliced wide, I'm then sitting there thinking, we're getting fucked. We're getting fucked. I just, you know that feeling, you know, where you're just like, and not, the comment. Yeah, the commentators always throw in the old dreaded curse. You know, if you don't get that second goal. (laughs) And obviously they get down and have one of their rare attacks. And their player obviously jumps above our player. And we should have, like, won that header. And look, it goes back across. Someone falls over. I think they had three shots on goal. You know what I mean? And and they should have scored twice, to be fair to them. Um, So, yeah, very frustrating because, you know, people will go, well, that's a team in the bottom four. They're right. Um, you know, you can't drop points against teams like that if you want to get promoted. They're right. Uh, and after getting that away win last week, you know, which is a big barrier to get over with our recent away form, that was pretty important. So, look, the manager's very philosophical about it because obviously we had so many chances, you know, and, and, and he's got to be that way. I can obviously get irritated and angry, which is, you know, my right to do. Um, but, yeah, we, we, we should have been winning that game comfortably. So, really frustrated. You leave points on the table. Our points on the floor. So we go on to Tuesday. So if we play that well again, you know, I would always say you win nine times out of ten. So, you know, we do that again, we win. So it's just frustrating. You know, and sometimes our players, look, it, it's educational. They have to learn, you know. There's a lot of, you know, you know when I say you make the same mistakes over conceding late goals or silly things. You know, those are the things you have to get out of your system. And you can't be halfway through a season and making the same mistakes. So, there's cleanup there to be done. But look, we've got a hell of a, you know, a squad. There's players not getting on that bench on Saturday. So, you know, at the end of the day, if they they need to go on a run and win six, seven, eight, nine games. 
You know, when, when you've had the kind of inconsistent start we've had, you have to put a stretch together. So the odd draw in there is not a bad thing. It's fine. As long as you win the next three or four, I get, it's a good recipe. Do you know what I mean? If you're winning three or four and the odd draw in there, that's fine. Do you know what I mean? What you can't be doing is you can't be shitting the bed. I felt we, and again, you know, I'm sick of people making headlines out of my comments. I felt we shit the bed on Saturday, you know, and, and hopefully we, we, we learn from that and go on. Because, you know, I woke up the other day and it was just, there was headlines about we did a podcast last week on Liverpool and it was like trying trying to make out I was slaughtering Jurgen Klopp who I've been nothing but fucking praising the guy for the last two years but talk sport are leading with a headline that a lot of Anfield's podcasts were as well you know and I thought I wasn't really overcritical of Jurgen Klopp I just made the made the point that you know with all those striking options you know to play a youngster in a game like that you know questionable but anyway we'll get on to Liverpool later so Saturday for Peterborough was very frustrating. The only positive thing was it was a good crowd. The only positive thing was we had 27 shots on goal. Um, you know, and, and I guess, yeah, it's um, the signs you're thinking, we're going to win a lot of games here. And then you just kind of like shoot yourself in the foot on Saturday like that. So got to learn quickly. We've got to win Tuesday. We've got to win Saturday. You know, back up a win at home with a win away and go again. So that, that, that's posh here. And so that's, uh, you got first green on Tuesday. Wickham away on Saturday, and then you play them again in the Papa John's. Is that right? The week after, yeah, we keep ending up with these Stevenage twice, you know, mm -hmm. and we Plymouth twice in a week, you know. So, yeah, you know, obviously, I'm, my focus is Forest Green. What comes after comes after. So we have to we have to get back to winning at home on Tuesday. And um, as you're going to have to win a with the teams in this league, the start some of them have made, you're going to have to win practically 80, 90 percent of your home games to be there or thereabouts. That's the bar that's been set, and yeah, a win and a clean sheet would be good because that's something we really need to get the knack of both ways. Um, so, yeah, enough posh. Talk Bradford. What happened on Saturday? Um, well, as I do that, let me uh, bring in Ryan and then uh, I can ah, cool, share my, cool. uh, my, my two cents. Uh, hey, Ryan, welcome back to the Hard Truth podcast. How are you, pal? Not too bad. How are you? Could always be better. Shit football weekend. <laughs> it's funny. Before we started recording, we were just talking about how much we hated football after this weekend. Posh, Bradford, Liverpool. Great way of bringing you down, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's just a weekend killer. Ruins your weekend, huh? It does. It does. Just irritating. Walk up Monday morning and try and play all right again. Exactly, yeah. So what so what so you got turned over by Stockport now at your place. Um, did you play well or did you deserve to lose? What kind of game was it? No, we, we were off. We, that was probably our worst performance of the season. Um, if, in, a, in a weird way, that's the positive I'll take from it. I don't think they were outstanding. I thought they, were, they, were, they did a job on us, but we were nowhere near. We had multiple players who were nowhere near where they have been or nowhere, nowhere near where they can be. And we didn't even play. We didn't even look how we usually look. So... Uh, I, we, we we started on a negative. I think the first thirty seconds we made two errors, passed the ball to them. They probably thought their their lottery result, their lottery ticket had come through. So they they did the job. You know they would they really needed uh, three points. Uh, Dave Chandler has a habit of coming to uh, Valley Parade and needing three points and getting them, um, and then we got them again. One of them. One of them. <laughs> it was one of them. You know, it's disappointing to lose the home record because we were unbeaten at home and. Obviously, that's a really strong foundation to build from. But yeah, we didn't deserve. It. We got we got exactly what we deserved. I got no complaints at all. Um, but we've got a massive game on Saturday to bounce back with, and that's Salford away. So, ooh, ooh. yeah, that's, it's a big. They're, they're in flying form. 
Yeah, well, they've, they've, made a, they've made a good start, similar to ourselves, and 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 now the top seven start playing each other, and we're, we're going to see. So, um, but it, it's it's probably the right kind of game after that one, I guess. You know, you you need to be, you need to respond, and we've we picked up some good statement victories, I think, this season. Tranmere away on the Tuesday night, they've beaten everybody since they played us. You know, we did a, we'd really well to beat Stevenage three 0 at home, but you know, we, we've got to come back from that because. Phil probably know himself who yeah. watched the game. That that really wasn't us this season. We just we didn't get going. We never got going. Any 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 dissent, any booze at the end? The, the, the fans are okay? I think they're a bit of frustration towards the referee and the performance in general. The the match officials without going I don't want to get into too much on that because I could go all, all night on it. But it's just it's just a tough the, the, there's no consistency in the decision making. It makes it really difficult. Um, obviously, they got a penalty, which was probably one of the softer challenges that they had against them. And we had a couple of shouts for bits and pieces. But I mean, like I say, it didn't affect the result. The referee didn't decide the game, but it didn't help. There was all kinds of stuff. Both Mark and Glenn got yellow cards. It just descends into chaos, you know, from an officiating perspective. So, <laughs> Phil? Yeah, it was one of those where they came with a plan. They executed really well. They came with a lot of intensity. Um, high press, and you know that they can't keep that up, but you hope that they don't get the goal um, that they can defend. And basically, that's what happened. They came with it, they got the goal through a, a bit of a lucky pen, um, and they were pretty much in control. They controlled the game from a position of, you know, strength from that point on. If they'd have carried on with that high intensity, you know, they'd have slowed down. We'd have probably got more gaps. There'd have been more opportunities. But the fact they got that goal gave them something to shut up shop to. Yeah, the penalty came at a bad time because I felt just before that we sort of regained control. We we were at a bad start, and then there was a 10-15 minute period after around 20 minutes where I thought, yeah, you know, we've we've weathered whatever was going on with us. Um, but then the goal went in, and we just we just they, they just parked it up. They made substitutes that offset our attacking substitutes. It was it was like I said, they, they did they did a decent job on us. Really, it's, it's a difficult come, but. They got the first goal, and that's massive at our stadium. I think they were the stock part that we expected, not the stock part that started the season. Well, they were favourites, weren't they, to win, to win to go promoted? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think I think like even the likes of Wotton, probably have, we've seen a lot of them. We've watched a lot of them, and that's probably his best performance for them. Um, Madden looked good. They just they, they Wotton caused our centre halves issues, and they weren't at it, and as a result. You know, he was quite successful. We just, things didn't go our way on a number of levels, but you just had a feeling of that. You know, I think if we were still playing the game now, we'd be still 1-0, so. I had a few of them. I had a few of them. Look, you don't, you know, people like, you get frustrated with losing. You're not going to fucking go on beating the whole season. I don't care how good you are in any league. No, no. You're going to lose football games, you know, and it's like, it's, you've had, you've had an unbelievable start. There's great platforms. As I keep harping on, sometimes to remind myself, nothing fucking has won this side of Christmas. No, it's just, yeah, it's just well, I mean, platforms. I think if you look at last season in this division, Mansfield and possibly even Tranmere were really struggling. Um, I think Mansfield at this point, you know, might have been second bottom, third bottom. Uh, they lost 12, 13 on the spit. I don't know what it was. A terrible run of form, and you, and you think about how frustrating that must have been for them when they were at Wembley, and I think they missed out on the autos by a handful of points, two or three points. And one of those twelve or thirteen go the other way, and they're in a complete. They're in League One now, so it's um, 
it, it's a long, long way to go. You know, like even when we got the wins over Stevenage, Tranmere, even Harrogate, which for, you know that was a, a psychological thing for us. I think just to get that one out of the way. Um, that I was never sat there at that point thinking we'd won the league anyway. So you know, it, it's out miles to go, way, way to go. I've seen too much of these leagues and they're up and down, and we've got to just keep our form. You know, it's all about points per game, really. If you stick 1.8, two points, you're going to be in the play. You know, you might be in the automatics. So that's where we need to be. We just, I think, we just dipped under that again now. But we've been there or thereabouts since the start of the season, and it's fairly simple. The maths, you know, if, if you can stick around that area, you're going to have a decent season. And if you don't, you're in a bit of a dogfight. Do you uh, do you speak to Sparky after matches? Do you, do, you, do you leave him alone? Do you speak to him on the weekends, or, or what's the story? We always speak the day after. I've, I've always done that with any manager. I think you've got to let the um, emotions, of good and bad, you just let them. And, and I, I like to watch the game again, you know, just to, because you sometimes you, when you're in the heat of the moment, you're watching matches, you, you see things slightly different to how you do when you watch it again. So, but yeah, we usually chat on a Sunday, Sunday morning. Um, He's a golfer, so I've got to catch him early. So we uh, we <laughs> we uh, it depends, but no, we we um, yeah we chat more Sundays and go through it, and yeah, some this Sunday was no different. Has he been? Um, you know, you've worked with what now? Four or five managers: Stuart, Mark, Truman, Connor, and Derek. So yeah, four technically four. I think. Yeah. So so has he been your favourite one so far? Has he been? Has he been the easiest one to deal with as regards to professionalism? Yeah, you've got to have trust, haven't you? You know, I mean, you've got to have trust. And I think um, I've always had trust with all the people I've worked with. A bit different with, you know, Stuart McCall was a manager I didn't appoint, so I I wasn't involved in that. Um, Obviously, I worked with him, but only briefly. Mark and Connor was a very interesting time because we obviously gave them an intro and they they shocked everybody, so they did really well. And that was tough as well because they were on their own journey. Massive experience, learning curve. Um, and you know we were trying to recruit for a summer and all kinds of stuff going on there. And obviously Derek came in, and there was definitely trust in that relationship toward until, until the very probably the final few games where I felt as though that had gone, and um, I was no longer no longer an ally, um, which was a shame. But you know I, I, you treat people how you find them. You know what I mean? I've always been great. Rela- you need a good relationship with the manager because. You know, when everybody's uh, jumping up and down, winning or losing, you've got to keep that nice and consistent, I think, because there's there's so many. There are only, even in this division, there's only four teams that can have a great season. Um, three can have a really great one, one can have a really nice day at Wembley, and then the rest, it's, it's, it's you know, two disasters, and then the rest of it's a much of a muchness. So you've you've got to just keep it at a pretty level, I find. But no, I mean, Mark's been fantastic. You know, he's come into the club, I only asked for a few things. I returned to our kind of DNA in terms of what we are. We're a bums on seats, people out of seats, if you like, football style, uh, get people excited about Bradford City again, give us that kind of pride, you know what I mean, that who we are. But then but then really bring the supporters back together. Um, and we were doing that and then it went away and he's done that. You know what I mean? The fans are right behind him and, it's it's great to see that. That's massive. The, the, the attendances we're pulling in this season are, are no doubt in my mind. Him and the players have done that, and they deserve huge respect for it. How's his relationship with the owner? Does he does he speak much to him? Is the owner happy? Obviously, with disappointment, you know what I mean. Was he surprised you were able to land him? Yeah, I mean, we we this is the way we are. Like I, I speak to Mark more than Stefan would. Stefan 
when he's here, he'll speak to me in person more than on the text or on the phone. It's a different relationship. Um, my role is probably more like your role, if you like, at Peterborough, I would say. So it's just natural that way. But don't get me wrong, I, the, uh, I have the text messages from the owner every Saturday. So <laughs> I don't get the beauty of Sundays. <laughs> no, but no, we just <laughs> um, And as I always remind him, you know, just ups and downs, you know, it's bumps in the road. But yeah, no, this relationship is as good as it can be. Obviously, I think when we first spoke about Mark, he was quite surprised that that was there on the table. And I said, oh, I'm not, I'm not messing around with you. So I forwarded his CV and then he rang me straight back. Oh, fair play. You talked about, um, you know, speaking with Mark on a Sunday. How does his emotions change, you know, based on result? Or is he pretty level-headed through it all? Oh, he's fairly level. You know, I mean, you, you can imagine how many results he's been through uh, as a player and a manager. My God. I mean, no disrespect to ourselves, but this is a short period so far in his managerial career. So he'll just soaks it up and rolls with it. And I think that's the way it goes in general. You know, I think over time you become uh, less excited about winning and less depressed about losing. You try to stay level because it's, it's more about the end goal. And this is my. Um, second full season in charge of the club so i've learned a lot as well about the peaks and the troughs and when you think you're getting nearer and when you're not he, if he's confident that he's on the right path the i'm sure that the bumps along the way don't perhaps mean so much because he knows he's going in the right direction yeah and, and we've got a good squad haven't we so we've got plenty of depth and competition and and we've built, we've built a sort of footballing scenario whereby if if a player loses form or or whatnot and we think um, or Mark think rather that it's time for a, a rest. You've got a quality player to come in and that keeps the performances high. So there's no issue. You know, we've still got uh, just last count, three or four players that can't make the 18, which is a good position to be in this time last season with our last two strikers, you know, and, and that in itself creates issues because they know that they're the first name on the team sheet, if you like. So. What's, um, what surprised you the most about Marcus? I think when he came in, obviously, you know, there's things rolling around my mind about how would he adapt and, and how would he find it? You know, like this is a massive dip down in terms of EFL from the Premier League. And that's not that's not a dig at us. That's the truth. He's gone from the Premier League to the fourth division, whether we like it or not. Um, but the way he's embraced it is, is beyond what I expected. You know, in, in terms of the way he's picked it up, he absolutely lives and breathes the football club. You know, his grandkids are at every game, Bradford City shirt. It's, it's really good to see, you know, he's not, that's not for effect. That's genuine. And I know that, and I'm around him quite a lot to know it. And just, he's just a good guy to work with. You know, you, you just know where you stand. We've got a good relationship and we, we can have the serious conversations, but we can have a good laugh as well. And, and it's about having a good time doing it because it is a tough gig. You know, it's a tough gig for everybody, you know, like yourself. Um, but it, it makes you, you can sleep at night when you know your football team's in good hands. Oh, it's critical. And what, what do you, what do you wish you could give him that he wants as regards to your fourth division club? As you say, we're a third division club. You've got a manager with these high standards, used to the best training grounds, the best facilities, the best this. What's that one thing, if you'd have wished this, you could give him that you know he really wants, but you just can't do it at the moment? To be fair, when we, when we first spoke, this was what it was all about. What, what do you need? Because there's no point... Um, coming, walking him into an environment and pulling the wool over his eyes. Because one, I had too much respect, and two, it would 
then then the trust is gone before you've started. So I, I asked him about what is going to be important for him to make us successful. Grass was the answer. You know, now you're right. <laughs> but, 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 you know, our training ground is, is a decent training ground. People dig it out, but it's not real. You know, it's a, it's a good training facility. And I think our pitches are perhaps something we've not invested in in the past. And, you know, I made him the promise. I said, we'll make sure those pitches are spot on for you so they match Valley Parade at, at very at the very worst. And, and we've done that. And they've had surfaces to play on and the way we want to play needs that. Whereas in the past, previous managers are quite happy on 4G. The mud's irrelevant if there was any. The, the, the state of the boxes didn't really matter. How much we watered the pitch, not really a priority. So that was something. It was a case of what delivering what, what we can that he needed. Well, I think there's loads of things that you could do, obviously. And you could, um, we could have an, an, another training pitch that's completely cut off to everybody. We could have a brand new training ground. That'd be great. These are things that we obviously were working on in the background anyway. But in terms of what he needs to be successful or what he wants, I don't think we're miles far off that. I think, you know, we, we've tried to um, give him as much as possible. And we talked about having a squad that was big enough and deep enough to go at things, you know, and, and we have shared goals. You know, I, I'd like us to be successful in cup competitions as well because it can help us going forward with our model. And um, to do that, we need a slightly bigger squad with plenty of quality. And we've tried to put that together, to be fair. And what, what objectives have you and the owner said to Mark is a success or a failure this season? I think that's a fairly obvious one for us in terms of the league. You know, getting out of this division is is a top, top priority. You know, it's not easy in the sense that, you know, you may look and say, well, fourth division Bradford should be smashing that to pieces. Well, we haven't been out of this division automatically in 41 years. So it's it's some, it's some a bit of a task. Um, that's not an excuse. It doesn't affect the way I see it, but it is a challenge. Um, and we've not many won many league titles and we've, we've had tons of promotions in the past, but it's it's, that is our goal. There's no doubt about that. I don't think Mark would have even come to Bradford if, if we were sat there talking about, can you keep us in the division? There's absolutely no reason to. It's obvious. And, you know, there's there's no competition we've gone into that we've not tried to win every game. You know, we, we took Hull, we took Hull down in the Carabao. We pushed Blackburn pretty close in the second round. Uh, both of them teams are way higher than us in the in the pyramid. We, we are, despite what happened in the last 20 minutes against um, the the guy the, the from Leicester, we, we are trying to do what better in the Papa John's, and, and obviously we've got the FA Cup to come. So there's no there's nothing off the table, but you know without a doubt our main priority is to be promoted from this division. And you obviously have explained to him that you run a self-sustained model, which I've obviously we've commended you about that like for the last few years. That well, we try. you know, you wipe your, you try, you pretty much wipe, you wipe your own face. You know, the owner doesn't have to stick in a million or two million every year. And mm. in in now that's a good, that's a positive thing, by the way. I know some fans or some people think, oh, that's not. A but I think with everything going on in football and the way people spend money recklessly, I actually commend any football club that wipes its nose. Do you know what I mean? Whilst trying to be successful, yeah, it's different if you're like fourth bottom every year. Oh yeah, it's so difficult when you balancing um, you know, supporter ambition. And even your sponsor's ambition and my own ambition and everyone else are connected to the club versus what you've actually got. It's very yeah. difficult. It's extremely difficult. Ultimately, you're running, you're running businesses that don't make sense. Let's be honest. You know, what, what company in the world do you sit there before you start the financial year and think about how much money you could get away with losing or what do you have to do to break even? That wouldn't, 
if you were running that company, you would just shut it down. So it's a t- it is a tough industry for that. But I think from my perspective, it's a case of budget on the table. Um, the supporters have responded brilliantly to Mark's arrival and bought into the project as of some of his bigger sponsors and, and new sponsors, tons coming through. And and that that then gives you a rough, uh, if you like, financial chunk to go at. And, the, and then there's some of it where you're trying to think about your potential fo- football fortune, transfers, assets, etc. And then um, progress in cups. And, and of course, league, the league, because... We've sold 14,000 season tickets, but our average attendance is nearly 17,500. So that means there is some walk-up. Uh, away ends in this division are a challenge, as you know. So you, you've got to try and make sure that those potential floaters or supporters that financially can't commit to season tickets or work away or whatever feel the need to come and watch you. Yeah, so in the summer, we did a lot of restructuring of the scouting and the recruiting setup, <clears throat> excuse me, and brought up board a new head of recruitment. I just wonder if you could talk a little bit about the considerations as you did that um, and, you know, kind of built that new um, kind of system for recruitment. It's not a new system for me, that one. I, if anything, it was more of a rebuild. Um, we moved away from a system that I felt really comfortable with before where I had a head of recruitment and some scouts, to put it bluntly, who were working towards a, a, a structure and, and, and a profiles for players, both financially in terms of the ma- and in terms of the manager's needs. We moved away from that, uh, too much power into a manager's hands, um, which, you know, nice idea in principle, but didn't, didn't benefit us at all. In fact, it took us backwards and I admit that, you know, that was a mistake. Um, and I'll never do it any other way, if I'm honest, going forward. And when I first met Mark, it was one of the first things we discussed. You know, if, if we're going to do this, then we need to rebuild our recruitment team, if you like, and then have our scouts working with the head of recruitment to players that can fit the way you want to play and what we can afford and, and what we believe we can attract at the level. And we've gone back to that. So, you know, it, 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 wasn't, it wasn't new. It was something that was there quite early in my leadership of the club and I, and I moved away from it to suit the previous manager. I think we've all done that in the past. I certainly have now. And um, yeah, it didn't, didn't work out. Dara, from your perspective, do you see more managers um, that are open to, um, you know, not being the the head of the, of the pyramid, so to speak, from a, a recruitment perspective? Or is it kind of old school versus, um, you know, more progressive managers? Ryan made a really good point there that, sometimes you get caught up in history with maybe a bad season and you've got to change things and you go too drastic and you 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 start modifying towards say what a manager wants we did it a few years ago with a manager who came in and we went away from a lot of our recruitment and we signed like 20 odd fucking players and you know seven or eight of them were from scotland and you know there were a lot of agents you know involved in those deals that were at the same agents and you know i and it made me very uncomfortable not that we were doing anything unethical or illegal. It made me uncomfortable that we were changing so much our philosophy of what we usually are all about. Um, but, you know, I, I had a fight in there and made sure we still got five, six of our normal type players that PW United would bring in. Um, but it was a battle all the time. It was probably my biggest battle with that manager, you know, constantly about, you know, I remember we were starting a season on a Saturday and we had in attack uh, as strikers, just as options. We had Jason Cummins, Matty Godden, 
Ivan Tony. And the, the manager was threatening, if I didn't sign another player, he would leave. This was before the season started. Another striker. And, you know, I've just named there Godman Championship, Ivan Tony, England, even Cummins, who, you know, was very good at the time for us. And, you know, it was kind of like, I got to the point where I was browbeaten that summer, you know, and I was like, oh, fuck this for a game of soldiers. And I'm not trying to have a dig out of previous managers, you know. I'm just trying to explain the process that sometimes you try and appease a new manager and you can go away from your principles, you can go away from what makes you good as a recruitment cycle, as a club. And as long as I own the posh, I'll never go away from that again. And when I own another club in the future, I will definitely bring all the stuff I've learned in 17 years recruitment, you know, say by Bogner Regis, wherever, we'll recruit exactly how I've recruited a posh, the structure. And it won't be always based upon the manager, it'll be based on the club, you know, the philosophy of the club, that any manager that comes in understands it, agrees with it, and is happy. And the problem you've got is lots of managers who are desperate to work for you will give you lip service and say, love your recruitment, I love your policy, I want it, I want the job. And they think, right, I'm going to get my feet under the table and now I'm going to change everything. You know, and I've had three man two managers do that, where they just, you know, they think, right, now I'm in, I've given the lip service, I've signed a contract, well, fuck your recruitment, this is what I want to do, this is how we're going to do it, and then it's, then it's just a fucking battle. If I gave you a list of the players that I have battled with, if you like, not one manager, but two maybe, it would be quite a frightening list. Most of the players are now playing in League One because they've been promoted from this division or they're playing in the Championship. Um, and and you, it's only when you you've got to try not to think about it too much because it can drive you crazy. But yeah, no, I've been exact. I've been in exa exactly that position about you feel like you're pushing up against them, and then the trust you start to have doubts and things in your mind very early. You know what I mean? Like for me, yeah, hundred percent. My doubts about last season were there. Game one, game one when we won when we beat Oldham. They were there game five when we murdered Stevenage. And I still have the same doubts because that night Leangol went down and I knew he was our one of only two strikers that we'd really banked on scoring goals for us. You need 70 goals pretty much to get out of this division and we had about 40, 50 in the squad. I think we scored 55, 54, I don't know off the top of my head. So, you know, it's, it's, you don't want to be in them positions. So I guess going back to your point there, Phil, at the start, that's why you structure it how you want it because you need to be at one with it so if it goes wrong i'm okay if it's on me that's fine but if you knew if it's on you because you let it slide or drift or if you maybe did too much to help one person it's difficult to live with that actually to be honest oh god yeah it, it, it's you know i could go back years like we had and the other danger is some, some managers want to bring their own recruitment person with them because they come as a team and that, you know, I had that back way back in the day. I'm talking 2010, 11. You know, I had a family member come with a manager. And again, the recruitment and just looking at, and, and, you know, bringing in players they thought were better than Ryan Bennett, thought they were better than the Mac attack, thought they were better. You know, I had to fight to get Lee Tomlin signed to our football club. To get that deal done, I had to sign two players I didn't want. And that was the, the, the payoff was, okay, you can sign Lee Tomlin. You know, and, and all those things. And, 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 and you just learn over the years. It's unlikely that's going to lead to success because you're immediately... Of course. It's not, it just doesn't feel right, does it? It just doesn't feel right. And no, it fair, doesn't. That was when me and Mark chatted. We, we both, from the start, we said, let's start afresh. Let's find someone new. 
and and let's look at it for a while. We have a little bit of time. We can look. We can assess the players we've got now. You've got 13 games, and then before we made a sort of target by before the end of the before the end of March, we'd have someone sorted, and we did ish, maybe a couple of days late, but um, we'd spent a long, long time finding the person that fit fit us, and it felt. We, we could see it, you know, and, and we've got, you know, we've got a guy in Stephen Gent who we we met a few times and, and as soon as I met Stephen, I just, I, there was a click there. I could just see it and, um, you know, he'd not been a head of recruitment before, but he, he that, you know, I haven't been a chief executive before. That's well documented. So I, I have no interest in that kind of stuff. And But he's, his level of knowledge and the attention that he put on his role and the attention that he puts on it now, there's not a day goes by where he's not on the phone to me talking about, any any little detail that he can pick up you know and that's and um you know i knew was soon you know if you talk it was a lot basically middlesbrough's loans and scouting managers so you knew that he was watching where to move players into what division and where they could play at and we only actually got talking funnily enough because he he didn't have my number so he came at me through linkedin saying look i've, I've been watching the way you're playing under mark i think i've got some players at middlesbrough who under this system that you're playing would really fit, but under your previous system, it wasn't going to work. So we didn't want to do it. But for the summer, we'd like to offer you boom, boom, boom. <laughs> so that's how it started. And I said, well, actually, I don't really, how about the, how about chatting about the actual recruitment job, which is, you know, where we went from, from there, really. Now, this year we've signed a lot of um, two, three-year contracts, you know, in fact, I think there's some contracts there with options, club options for longer, which has gone away from the past where it's been one-year deals, maybe two-year deals. Now, do you feel there's a risk associated with longer contracts or is it because you're more confident in the kind of person that you're recruiting? Uh, well, there's there's a number of reasons to that. I think I, I've, I've always said, you know, you try to learn from every scenario you go into. Now, you've got to remember a lot of the players that played for us have been contracted to the club before I even took over. So, and some of them during... Um, the first players that I had contracts, my own signature on contracts for probably that January transfer window where we were bottom of the league nearly. And they were more short term because of where we were in the division at that point. So six month, 18 month deals to get us through. Everything were a little bit short term. I had an interim manager, an interim assistant manager, uh, a consultant head of recruitment. So things were all very sketchy, if I'm honest, at that point. Things are a little bit different now. And, and the one thing that, irritated me over the summer without naming names just a couple of players that felt they had the power in conversations over us um and the players that i'm talking about we built them we built them in my opinion they're nothing without their time at bradford um and some of those players have kicked on and some of them haven't um but but I, it kind of irritated me that you know the player power kicked back in a little bit so i think by having the option in our favor as far as you can um is useful it is useful um and it certainly helps in terms of a couple of the players over the summer that we brought in we've had to pay fees for not huge fees but fees because the parent club gets one whisper that someone like Bradford City might be interested and they just trigger the option it's a hor it's a bit of a shit thing to do to be honest but you built the player so you know I I don't have an issue I think it's better and obviously some of the players are longer term you know, like Timmy, Timmy Odessina coming in from Hartlepool, we've paid a, a decent amount of money for him. So I want that to be, if you like, amortised across years and he will develop. He's going to be a big, big player in, in the in the EFL. And there's, there's number, numerous players that we've signed on longer contracts for different reasons. But we, we do have the majority with options. And 
the ones who weren't comfortable with it, we tried to make them comfortable with it, if you like. Now, we talked earlier about, um, you know, the club having a self-sustaining model and a little bit touched on commercials. Now, that's one of the ways I think any Bradford City fan looking in will see there's been such an increase in commercial activity over the past couple of years. Um, I just wonder if you could talk a little bit about kind of the importance of that is of why all these deals are important, all these sponsorship deals are important um, in terms of the bigger picture. And then, you know, while this wasn't the purpose of you coming on the podcast over the last week or so, we've been talking about branding and commercial opportunities with new branding. If you could talk just a little bit about the thought process behind that as well. Yeah, well, I mean, from a commercial standpoint, it's like anything. If you're trying to be self-sustaining and you know that you're not going to have a million coming in from an owner, so you've got to... Ultimately, it's an old cliche, but sweat the asset, you know what I mean? Just how far can you push it to the point where there's nothing left in the tin in the, in the fourth division? So, you know, commercially, I think the club was doing around a million a year in the, in the top end of League One. We're probably going to do 1.25 this season commercially in League Two. We've, let's, let's be honest, on the back of three or four years of no success or very little progression on the grass if we're being straight but it's about having the right people in the right jobs you know i have some really good staff i think the, the, the staff we've got at Bradford city at the moment the best staff the club's ever had in my opinion certainly in the time i've been there everybody's at it everybody wants to do well and win and everybody i think understands and they've seen it this summer probably could have seen it last summer if we'd have been a bit more um, sharp in terms of recruitment but they've seen it this summer that they they can have a fight. They can have an impact on the final score, which is what I said to them the day I took over. Uh, I don't know if people believe that. I think it's like a bullshit term, bullshit phrase, but it's not. It is actually genuine. You can have a, you can have a massive impact, and everybody pushing together in the same direction is huge. But just, just have, you know, we, we're a big believer that if you attract big brands, then other big brands will be attracted by their presence. You know, Morrison's have come here, and then University of Bradford wants to sponsor the stadium. They want to be involved in other areas. They want to help us develop our women's strategy and platform. There's massive things coming in that day, in that guys. But it's really a case of how you keep kicking the levels up. So every year we just take the budget, red line, higher, red line, higher, red line, higher. It never comes down. You know, it's the only th unfortunately the other things going higher. Player wages and energy, gas and lecky. But, um, but you know, you've got th th that's the whole point. You know, what, what are we in it for? We're trying to get as, the business as much turnover as possible. People talk to me, what's your five year plan? All the, you know, the, what's your strategy? Well, the strategy is pretty simple make as much money as possible and spend as much money as possible on the grass and be as successful as we can be. End of strategy. <laughs> and, 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 and grow the club while you're doing it, developing areas, facilities. Our infrastructure is developed. There's no doubt about that. So it's not like we're just putting it all on sand. We are trying bit by bit to improve the, the ground, the training ground. It's difficult. It's difficult. But um, the one thing I always believe is if we, if we have that success, and I, and I think we can, then um, <clears throat> you know, it will feel very good, feel good for a lot of people because they know it's sweat, sweat, blood and tears have gone in from a lot of different people inside the club and people that you never hear about. You know, work behind the scenes day in, day out. And so what, as we think about the commercial impact and the growth that we've had there, what, uh, you know, over the last week or so, we've been talking about branding, like the football club branding. And what does, how does that play into, like what additional commercial opportunities, therefore, does doing something like a rebranding offer? 
Well, it's, it's multi, there's a multi reasons why we'd want it when we're looking at it. You know, what I mean, obviously, I know people react to it in quite almost a way of panic. You see that, and I can understand that because you're talking about a badge that's been there for 30 years, and in my entire life, I've only ever seen that badge myself. So, and as a Bradfordian, it's all I recognise too. But there is a tomorrow as well, and we've, we've got to develop the club for for the future. I think the average age of a, a fan in the EFL is in the 50s, late 50s. We've got to we've got to do something about that. Um, it's difficult probably to think about and, and when people told me about this the first time I even was introduced to the idea of branding it, you know people talk about e-gaming and e-sports and FIFA and this world that cyber and all this stuff, that universe that younger kids live in now and they pick things up and they pick the best brand or they pick the best kit and they play in that team and that's how fans can be developed in that way and it's something we've got to look at but it's a, bit, it's a bigger picture really I think we've got I think at the moment there's about 13 versions of our club logo in, in, in circulation and, and that wouldn't happen at a big club. You know what I mean? We talk a lot about big club mentality and dragging the club. People always talk to me about, please be ambitious, drag us forward, uh, get the handbrake off. Well, to me, this is an example of that. You know, this is us trying to progress the company in a, in a much bigger way for the longer term, something that can stand the test of time and, and take out the fact that every ground you go to, Every time you look at the scoreboard, they've got a different, slightly different version of our logo on. It would not happen if you were Manchester United. It wouldn't happen if you were Arsenal, Chelsea, Liverpool. So why would we be any different if we're serious about ourselves? You know, it's about self-respect for that for, for the club, uh, of which I have a lot. So, but equally, you know, I think we've tried to do it the right way. Some clubs just fly in the face of a supporter and just go, well, we're going to do it anyway. Uh, this is the new brand, whether you like it or not. We're not going to consult with you or we're going to tell you we are, but we didn't. So we've tried to be as open as we can, consult with lots of people um, and even put another survey out on the back of it, which we're getting the results of probably this week. So it's it's it's, a, it's not just a case of for commercial growth, you know, but, but it no doubt can make us more attractive, we believe. Dara, what's your view on, you know, taking, um, because I think, a, a badge, the brand associated with the football club, it's you know it's iconic to the fans and it's uh, very it's a very emotive issue for folks. Um, you know, kind of what's your view on? Is it something? Or, or how do you approach that as a as something? Is it there to be changed? Is it something that should be left alone? Like yeah, you, you, you approach it carefully because Ryan mentioned there the average age of supporters and stuff. What, what he didn't say, which is the truth, is your best spenders are your over 50s they're the ones who spend the most money usually if you look at season tickets you look at lots of things a lot of a lot of the money and our turnover comes from the over 50s because they're the ones with the most dough but you're always going after the next generation because the next generation is your future and you want to build your gates off that so you don't want to upset the golden oldies and they're the ones who really lose their shit about you know logo changes and branding changes and color of shirt changes and different socks you know, and then the younger crowd are probably more open-minded to it. We know what I call generation suck nowadays, a lot of the youngsters and whatever else. You know, as long as you don't insult their pronouns or use the wrong pronoun, they're probably fine with whatever branding you do. Um, so you have to do extensive testing. You have to do the surveys, like Ryan said. We did all of this. You know, you got to go out and try and get every season ticket holder to answer, give it an idea. And then you have to tread very carefully. You don't want to go and change the color of your strip completely. Like I think it was it the Cardiff guy who went from this color to that color or this suggestion or the whole former owner wanted to change Hull's name. So you start going down that route and it's Harry Carry time, it's time to leave because you just, you're never going to win those fans back once you have those conversations. So 
Ryan's right. You can't have 13 different badges, different brands. You have to have one. And Bradford is an iconic football club. It's been around a long time. And if I walked down the street in Florida, a lot of people would know Bradford's football, you know, going back years and years. So getting that right is important. Um, it helps when you're winning, and it helps when all is good in the world. If you're in the middle of a shit run, to be going through a whole branding, rebranding exercise is probably the wrong time. And so you're always praying the results are going well on a Saturday and a Tuesday. And Ryan, from your perspective, so what do the next steps look like then? Well, um, first and foremost, the slight surprise is that the survey has not been answered by that many people. So it's not big for, for there was a lot of noise about it in certain areas, and probably a reminder that <clears throat> social media is not the only place that supporters have opinions, and sometimes those who are not heard are often the majority, and sometimes the, vo the vocal minority is what people hear and can sway opinion and I think as days have gone on and people have reacted I mean if you think we could have maybe put two or three different logos out there but then we felt as though that would potentially show kind of a lack of understanding of what the initial survey was you know we we kind of designed by committee which you know some designers would say is very dangerous but we took everything that the supporters would like to see on the badge and put them there with a new bird that looks more like a bantam than the current bantam, which looks different. Um, and, and, and we put all that there. So, you know, I think what will probably happen is we'll take the survey results, reflect on it, and, tr and once again, try and give as much to the people that have, have, have answered that survey as possible. Whether that's, whether that's we tweak what we've come up with, whether we put other options there, or whether we just carry on as we are and leave it. But I think that would be a missed opportunity. And, um, you know, and, and one thing I'd say on it is that usually rebrands, from, certainly from my experience and what I was looking at, they, they tend to come in sports clubs on ownership changes, stadium moves, no offence, ego-related things where it's about a person or about a movement, if you like. This isn't about that. I've been at the club for four and a half years and the day I walked in, I thought there might be an issue <laughs> with the brand because we don't have any, no one knows what the logo is. You know, even inside the four, four walls, we were, Oh, I think it's this version. I think it's that version. And I thought it was quite strange. But so it's been something that's been on the radar for a while. We're coming up to our 120th anniversary. So we felt now would be a good time to look at it. So it's as simple as that, really. And and like I say, I'm not personally changed my life if the logo stays as it is. I think for the club going forward and everything we're trying to do to advance Bradford City and make it the, the big club that people want it to be, uh, see it as, if you like. Um, these are these are key ticks, I think. So uh, as we start to wrap up, I do want, there's a couple of just more broad topics I want to get both of your opinion on. But Dara, anything else for Ryan on, uh, on Bradford City while we have him? No, I'm, I'm happy they're in a good place. I'm happy everything's going well with a new manager, um, you know, and, and bring that promotion home, you know, long overdue, and I'm sure you'll uh, enjoy it when it happens. <laughs> yeah, hope so. <laughs> hey, hope doesn't pay the bills. Exactly. <laughs> so the couple of things just before we wrap up um uh just kind of general news stories uh premier league are looking at relaxing restrictions on foreign signings dara how does that affect efl clubs if it's easier to bring in foreign players yeah listen let's spend three billion in the next market and let's get 2.9 of it to head off to france or estonia or holland and forget about efl it's just it drives me mad you know it's um I said it in the last transfer window, what was it, 92% of all the money went outside the country. Um, there's a lot of talent in the UK. There's a lot of bullshit headlines that uh, EFL talent's more expensive than European talents. I disagree. I've always said that. 
transfer fees might be more, but the wage package is a lot less. And, uh, you know, they we keep talking about TV deals coming to an end and we need more money from the Premier League and we need an independent regulator and to get more share of the pie. But, you know, one of the big things there is if we can get some sort of control over all the, the percentage of money that leaves the shores and get a little bit more put back into the pyramid, it'd be worth a lot more than TV deals, in my opinion. You know, give me an extra 500 grand a year or a Premier League club spending five million on one of my young players. I know which one I'll take. So uh, it's staring us in the face, but uh, here we are. Um, and I have a question about loans because there's, um, you know, talk about Chelsea, Arsenal, Liverpool, you know, looking at buying clubs like Man City have done. We've talked about buying a sporting group to have networking clubs so they can start sending loans um, again off our shores. Um, Ryan, from your, you've, we've used the loan market quite a bit this year. You know, how was, um, do you find that the, the loan market is kind of vibrant for a club like us in bringing talent from the Premier League or that this puts at risk kind of that talent being available to us if some of the bigger clubs start learning it out internationally? Yeah, I mean, look, since since Brexit, there's not a lot of positives that come from it, if we're being honest. In fact, our country's miles off it at the moment. But one of the things that we've gained as a football club is that is what Dara talked about, the big boys looking over their shoulders saying, well, Bradford have actually got a very, very good option. And, you know, we've done like half a million, if you like, in this financial year, which is the, another reason we're able to do what we're doing in the market and with the manager, et cetera, because we've sold play assets, young assets, 14, 15, 16 year old players. And that for us in terms of sustainability is massive. Um, and it's suddenly spiked. You know, we've gone from the average player value being 50 to 100 grand to 250, 350 average, you know, and that's massive. So yes, in terms of the loan market, it is vibrant. Um, it's difficult. I don't think, without Mark's presence, if I'm being honest, I don't think we would have attracted a couple of them, uh, to say the least. It's difficult in the fourth division. People do see it as a bit of a, a step too far for Premier League players. It's been a real fight to get a couple of them over the line. Um, but, you know, we've obviously sold what we are and where we're trying to get to and the way we're going to play, and that's been enough. But... I think I think you are in danger if, if that market was to open back up, which I'm guessing would be like a, an adaption of the GBE laws, which I'm, I'm not even sure that would work, but okay. You, you're going to end up with like a, a scrap heap full of players who should be being loaned down to, I'm not sure, they, they would seem to be just out of use because they're just going to bring in more players from overseas. Probably would make the loan market more vibrant for clubs like ourselves at the other end, but uh, I'm not sure how that would develop players in this country. And, and I, do, I do think, you know, it's it's a real opportunity for the P stuff to actually start working now for clubs like ourselves, like Peterborough, where you're selling players that no one ever knows about. They're, they're, mu they're much younger and they're being watched by Premier League giants. Um, yeah. It would be, be, be a step back, really. I think that's been a positive for the game. Where does the, the conveyor belt of talent come from? That enables you to have these assets at 14, 15, 16 year olds that you know most supporters don't really know about, but that have that valuation. When you think about, you know, that valuation is a, a top striker coming out of the National League, and naturally you've got a 15 year old who's got who may have that valuation. It does it does always make me laugh when uh, you know you see things about oh, we need to sell this player for half a million in the summer, and it's now nah, to this day I've never been offered more than twenty-five thousand for one of our players. 
um, one of our first team players, first team player. Um, and that is the truth. You know, don't get me wrong, we've had bits and pieces, you know, do this, do that, swap this player, swap that player. But cash, actual cash, it's never been above the sort of 20, 30K mark. Um, and, and when we do sell one of these players for a quarter million, etc., um, you you reminded at that point that there's not a player in your first team squad that's probably carrying that value. Certainly not previously to this season, maybe now. I think we've got quite a few assets in the building, but certainly last summer, maybe not. And and that to do with the contracts running down, etc. In terms of where you get them from, it's ultimately about how you scout at the bottom, the very, very bottom of your pyramid internally. So we put a lot of emphasis on our kind of head of recruitment area, um, sort of from eight, nine, 10, 11. You know, and, and we are actually going to make a full-time appointment in that exact job title for the for the other end of the club because we think there's so much talent in in our area, and we don't want to be losing it to other clubs. Our our academy is like a separate business, the separate football club. You know, when you look, who's our cat two now, and it's obviously seven figures go into it every year from the club, and then with the seven figures that come in and funding, it is it's got the the turnover of a league two, a low league two club. Um, and that's what Katu Academy does. You know, we've got X amount of new coaches. You've got new physiotherapists. You've got analysts going all the way down to seven, eights, nines. Um, you know, and like Ryan said there, we've been lucky. We've sold, you know, a 12-year-old goalkeeper last year. It was at the Man City for like 250 grand. We've sold Adler was the boy the Palace took, and we went to a tribunal, and, you know, we took near on, well, seven figures on him. And he's already, I think, their leading goal scorer in their under-20s. So he's going to be a player that's probably going to be worth millions in the future. Um, and that was only one there that I never got the pro deal signed on him. That's why we didn't get millions more because he would have been in our first team squad this year. Um, but we have scouts recruitment that goes all the way down. I mean, I, I hear about 11-year-olds who are scoring 200 goals in a season and everyone's taking a breath because we can't get him on a pro deal until he's like 15, 16, as pre-pro deal, which leaves us open to somebody nicking him for 100 grand or 200 grand which we don't want to lose a player for 100. You know, Norwich have taken a few of our youngsters. So it's, it's that. It's the balance act that you want players to stay with your club. When you cat two, you can attract better players in the area. Before we were competing with, you know, Norwich, Ipswich, Cambridge, you know, Leicester, even as far as Leicester. Now that we're a cat two, better standard of player will come to us over then because, oh, hang on, Peter was five down, miles down the road. It's the same cat as another one of these champ clubs. We'll go and sign there. Or put our kid in there. So, but you know, any club like ours, if we can, you know, City when times are tough, if you can be turning over 700, 800 grand a year and in, in selling a few 12 or 13 year olds, it sounds like human trafficking the way I'm describing it. It helps your overall budget. It helps plug some of the, the cash flow holes that you have. You know, it's, it's fascinating. So, is, is your goal to be break even with category two or? No, our, our goal is that within five years, half our team is, is our academy players because. You'll have a less a lesser wage bill. You'll have assets all over the pitch because they'll be representing England. You know, we've had three, four players now who are internationals that are teenagers. Do you know what I mean? And and they're worth considerable amounts of money. Our goal basically is the academy. Yeah, if the academy can bring in from the younger group a million, million and a half in sales every year, we can keep improving the academy. But the real goal is get them in the first fucking team squad. If they're in your first team squad, forget about five hundred grand, seven hundred grand. You're talking millions. Millions. You know, we got a player at the moment who's played in England every level, just played for the 20s, he plays for the 21s. You're talking 12, 14 million quid. You know what I mean? So that's where the real action is at because one of those deals changes your club. 
everything about your club. And I always say to the academy, we do a big deal from a player from our academy, we will invest some of that money back in and give you even more that you need. So that that's that's really where it's all about is is being able to churn out your own talents. You know, Ryan would be very proud sitting there in two years' time. But Bradford had six out of their eleven players all came from the academy. You just sitting there with pride. I I got proud when I had four or five in a minute in a in a team because it's just like oh that's that's like made made in Peterborough. You know, we didn't have to go and buy that. You know what I mean? So that's that's the best feeling in the world. Well, let's about wrap up, Ryan. Forgive me for asking Darrow one more question about his beloved Liverpool, because I can't let Liverpool's um, recent troubles slide without at least mentioning it. So, um, again, not a uh, not a great result of the weekend. I was reminded by uh, somebody that uh, you know Jurgen Klopp's Liverpool have now got the same amount of points as Frank Lampard's Everton. <laughs> that, yeah, listen, uh, things aren't that bad, you know, where we're going to end up finishing below everything. Um, easy, it, it, there's a lot of eyes on them now. There's a lot. Uh, I've seen a lot of stuff come out today and what's going wrong and what are they going to do. Look, I said it last week, Virgil van Dijk out of form. Trent Alexander, God bless him, out of form, getting hammered. You know, Mo Salah is worse than all of them, in my opinion. He looks worse than all of them. But you look at Saturday, did you even remember Mo Salah Sunday, Mo Salah playing against Arsenal? Because I don't really remember him either. He can't seem to beat any fullback at the moment. It's like he's carrying a, a, a lorry on his back. So I don't know if that's his new half a million quid a week contract or whatever, or he's gone that side of 30. We've got issues as a rebuild needed. But Jurgen Klopp, and I've always said this for the last three years, the only reason Liverpool have surpassed expectations with the spend is because of that manager. And if anyone can perform a miracle and get them back in the Champions League this year, even, even with that aging midfield, it's Jurgen Klopp. But those owners now, are under serious pressure because if this continues, Klopp's not going to be the one who gets it. The owners are going to get it, and deservedly so. They've left him with 30-odd-year-olds in, in most of his midfield, and those players are looking a bit spent at the moment. So, you know, not all gloom and doom, not been an ideal start, but knowing Jurgen Klopp, he'll beat Man City on Saturday or on Sunday, Saturday, whenever it is. So let's see. Let's all see. right, well, let's leave it all there. Ryan, thank you so much for coming uh, Brilliant, Ryan. Time. Great having you, bud. Take care. And for uh, anybody who has questions, we do have a bunch of questions that we did get in this week that we just didn't have a chance uh, to go through. So I'm going to hold those over for next week. But please do keep those questions coming, whether it's DMs on Twitter, whether it's uh, the website, uh, hardtruthfootball.com slash contact, or contact at hardtruthfootball.com for the email. Until next week, we'll see you all again later. Take care, guys. All the best.